everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. And today we are continuing on our series talking about the original Lord of the Rings films from Peter Jackson. We are talking about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers today. It's going to be super fun to talk about this epic film. I am film critic Rachel Wagner and Oscar is here. Hello. And Jen is here. Hello. How are you both doing? Yeah, doing all right, all right, thank you. Yeah. Nice to be out of the, out of the more intense heat of a few weeks ago and yeah. looking forward to diving into this awesome film with you guys. Yeah. And Jen, just uh, we should remind everybody that so this was your first time ever watching this film, correct? Yes, it is my first time. <laughs> yes. My first and second time because I watched the theatrical release and then had questions so then I like on the same day turned around and watched the extended oh my gosh a whole whole two towers a day wow nice (laughs) very good I did end up watching the extended edition this time I I wasn't going to but I was just like oh might as well you know watch the 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 most I guess the most uh, accurate version uh the the um might as well watch it. So I did. And uh, <laughs> it's interesting. I was asking uh, my friends on Twitter and a ton of them said that this is their favorite of the three. Uh, and you wouldn't know, Jen, because you haven't watched the third one yet. But Oscar, does that surprise you that people said that so much? I think there are good reasons why it might be their favorites, mm-hmm. but it's not my personal favorites. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it was interesting watching it again because it had been probably since 2015, I think, is when I did uh, the I reviewed them for my for the channel for Family Movie Night, uh, and I so it'd been a while since I'd watched them, and I liked this better than I remembered. I mean, I I remember I liked it, but uh, I I don't know. I felt like the pacing wasn't as difficult as I remembered. I still think there are a few parts where it could be tightened a little bit, um, especially, well, I mean, watching an extended edition, you're going to get that. But um, uh, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed it more. I had more fun with it than I remembered. So I was curious good. because every person I talked to either said the first or the last one were their favorites. Mm-hmm. But sister said that her singular favorite scene in all three was in Two Towers. So I was eager to call her after I'd watched them. She mm. wouldn't know what it was. So I was eager to call her and find out what that was. Which as oh, we go for the sorry, yeah. as we go for the film, I'd really yes. be really curious to know what that scene is. Yeah, that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. She said she'd watched it over a hundred times, and I was like watching for what it could be, and I uh, I had some guesses when I called her. But anyway, yeah, it is true that people that love these movies watch them on repeat. They I, I know so many people that the that this is kind of their, in a way, a comfort watch, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I tend to think of them as an annual experience, usually around December. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because I like mm-hmm. to keep them special. Didn't right. they come out in the, well, did they come out? I Maybe just Return of the King came out in December? Oh, they, all of the, all six of the Middle Earth films have been released in December. Oh, mm-hmm. see, that's why. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we just had, uh, every uh, just a ton of people saying that uh, i'm trying to see some of the reasons 
that people said, uh, my friend Josh, he said, I think it has more complete contained narrative. All of the separate stories have their own beginning, middle and end. They all tie together well and are all satisfying on their own. And, uh, and I think that sometimes it's easiest to make the middle movie of a trilogy the, the best because you don't have to worry about setup and you don't have to worry about finish. It's kind of all cream filling. <laughs> Do you think yeah. it's drawing comparisons to The Empire Strikes Back, maybe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that there are a lot of them where that middle, middle movie gets it the most right. Uh, but... Um, well, and after saying on the fellowship conversation that I saw some Harry Potter in this, I got a lot of feedback about that. <laughs> oh, you did. <laughs> and a lot of people saying it's more like Star, Star Wars and I'm talking so much well, about it. And mm. But I did not have that occur to me at all in this one, except when um, Gollum would do a Smeagol voice because it sounds exactly like Dobby. Dobby. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we always have to remember that Star Wars is like Lord of the Rings. I mean, Lord, Lord of the Rings came first. <laughs> right, right. And I kept saying, and that was a feedback I also got too, that the source material for both of those um, extended stories is this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also off notes, 2002 was the year where we were both introduced to Dobby and Gollum and mm -hmm. Jar Jar also returned for a bit. <laughs> yeah, that was an And they all year. kind of have similar sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Jar Jar sounds like either Dobby or Gollum, but that's me. Not that, not that. Close. But Dobby sounds exactly like the Smeagol voice when Gollum does it. I don't know. Yeah. If they, did Andy Circus do both? I don't know. No, no, he didn't do Dobby. But uh, but yeah, I mean Andy Circus. We'll talk about him more. But it. That's I mean, if you amazing. think about what else was happening in the world of CGI in 2002, I mean, it is very impressive. The, the special effects in this movie are outstanding. They still look, I think, great, even now. They were, also, they were also leaning more on models and other such practical effects more than Attack of the Clones was at the time. So that's part of why it stands up so beautifully. Mm -hmm. There were two fighting scenes that I literally said out loud, how did they do that mm -hmm. uh, in this one? I really, it was amazing. Yeah, especially in 2002. I mean, it's very impressive. Uh, I mean, that that was when they were, I mean, I think that, I think that Shrek came out in either 2001 or 2002. 2001. 2001, okay. Yeah, so it was right around then. I mean, you just think of the, the way that the computer animation was in that era. I mean, I don't know. It's very, it's very impressive. The, uh, the, what they did with um Andy Circus and Gollum in particular. It looks so good. Yeah, it's, um, totally. It looks like it and because because they shot on film, he looks like he blends into the background so beautifully, kind of like the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park. Yeah. Are you a fan of Rachel's reviews? Do you look forward to Family Movie Night, female film critics panels, or the Talking Disney podcast? If so, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. As a patron, you get to access monthly events such as the watch alongs and Q&As, where you get to talk to stars and find out the behind the scenes of the movie making industry. And you can pick what I review for Family Movie Night or even become a guest on the podcast. 
podcasts and YouTube channels are expensive and I really, really could use your help. I would so appreciate it. You also get to be a member of the Facebook group where we talk about all the films that we're seeing and we have so much fun. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies and select one of the Rachel's fan tiers. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. Uh, we get a little bit of a uh, back story, a little bit of kind of what happened, flashback. We get the, you shall not pass. And uh, then we see Gandalf fighting the Balrog. And we also get this really cute scene with Sam. He's got the salt from the Shire. Oh, <laughs> like, so roast cute. chicken. <laughs> and the magic of Elvish rope. Yes. Yeah. And that, the, the rope scene is extended, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the salt as well. Okay. Yeah. That that was a very sweet scene. I'll say this. Uh, Gandalf going down with the Balrog, fighting to the bitter end with that incredible music and that incredible shot of them descending into the lake. It's like a Raphael painting brought to life, Mm -hmm. like an angel battling a demon. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. There's. That's true. It looks amazing. It is otherworldly for sure. Mm-hmm. And you Super see, wish they looked as this good. Yeah, <laughs> and you you see that the ring is getting heavier. It's more of a burden, and uh, it's starting to change Frodo. And I think that that's what makes this story one of the things that make the story work so well is that it really goes from being Frodo's story to being Sam's story by the end. I mean, he really does save the day and, and keep everything, keep Frodo going. And he's just such a wonderful, loyal friend. And I, I think that that's what we all, I just think we're attracted to stories of a friendship. I think that's what we, we, uh, we hope for, we want in our lives and because yeah, I mean, family is important, but friendship, you actually have to work at, you have to choose, you don't, it's not a requirement. And so uh, I think stories about friendship are just very appealing. And Sam and his character and Sean Astin's performance is, it really becomes the main, uh, the main hero of the story. Um, By the wait. end, I just kept saying Sean Astin was so good in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. He, Sean. Yeah, I agree. Sean Aston was, so, he really, he, he really is the, in, in many ways, is the heart of the trilogy, mm-hmm. but in it, but in a lot of ways, Elijah Wood really did capture Frodo's slow, you know, decaying that, spirit yeah. and decaying, decaying body, mm-hmm. losing himself to the ring. The two of them just, yeah. You know, I can't, I can't imagine anyone else hitting those exact same emotional beats as well. Yeah, you really need both in order for it to work. But I, I do think that Sam becomes the the emotional sort of thrust of the story. Uh, the he, kind of the hero. He uh, he just won't give up, and it, it's it just is very endearing. Well, it was interesting to me because I was so glad that in Fellowship it was so clearly established for me that the ring could not penetrate Sam. Um, mm-hmm it made the focus more on his loyalty to Frodo instead of any worry there. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So many yeah. times throughout the second one, how, I ama- what an amazing creature, thing, person, friend he is, that he not mm-hmm. only could be affected by the ring, but he was gonna, he's, I love how he calls him Mr. Frodo. 
I, yeah. I love just how much he's in it till the end with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, what do you think of the, what do you think Oscar of this dynamic between Frodo and Gollum in this, uh, in this movie and then the animosity that Sam has towards Gollum? What do you think about that? The moment Gollum ingratiates himself to Sam and Frodo, it really it increases the tension tremendously because on the one hand, they need a guide to get into Mordor, but on the other hand, you can see how Gollum very carefully make, makes himself seem appealing to Frodo. Frodo starts to see his own frailties in Gollum's as well, but Sam is just not having any of Gollum's uh, uh, nonsense, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's a, and it's really quite upsetting to see that friendship start to be frayed in small scenes, but it's also reassuring when it comes back around at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think of that uh, aspect, um, Jen? Well, I didn't know a lot about Gollum um, going into this movie. I didn't mm-hmm. uh, know the stuff about him being a hobbit before and having Frodo identify that. And I was so curious to watch Frodo begin to defend him to Sam and to like get after Sam a little bit for being so hard on him. And Sam is just so plain about it. He's like, think of nothing else but the Like he's singular in his selfishness. And um, because Sam is just so plain about what's good and what's, what's right and what's wrong. And Frodo is walking this interesting line of understanding because of his relationship with the ring. So the whole, like the three of them together, it makes her for such an interesting dynamic um, because Sam is just like, <laughs> Gollum is bad and just gives him crap so much. And I mean, everyone's just beaten up on Gollum, um, but Sam is like, it's because that's who he is. Well, and then Gollum basically bites Sam. So that uh, one, right. <laughs> making not like, I mean, and yeah, I think that Frodo yeah, is Gollum, a hobbit or is he a man Gollum a is he, he is basically a hobbit or oh, yes, to be more okay. precise or to be more precise he's a store which is a relative of the hobbits oh, okay Smurgle was Smurgle. his name was Smurgle. yes yeah, Smeagol yeah. yeah I I for some reason I thought he was human but but yeah he's uh, it, it, definitely something that he the Frodo has to keep hope up for Gollum because he sees himself, he feels himself becoming becoming Gollum and that, that he knows that the ring is going to take him. Uh, and uh, so he has to have hope for Gollum if he has any hope for himself. Exactly. Yeah. I also think it, it helps that in Andy Serkis' performance, you, there is something that is pitiable about Smeagol in the fact that he is essentially in an abusive relationship with his alter ego with Gollum mm-hmm. yeah that's true and then we have Mary Pippin or with the uh Yurkai Urukai yes Urukai and they're basically being kind of tortured and uh they think that they have the ring and they don't and and then you have Aragorn Legolas and Gimli trying to set them free uh trying to to find them Mary Pippin and uh, a lot of people I, I've heard say that they think sort of the Mary, Mary and Pippin plot is the weaker part of the movie. Um, but uh, with the ants and everything coming up, 
but I, I like it. I, I think that you need kind of a break from some, especially from the battle scenes once yes. they start. So I, I, I like it. And especially, I think it's Mary. Well, I forget which one of them is the one that has the main argument with tree bird. It's, it is Mary. Yes. It's Mary. Yeah. So I was thinking, uh, He's probably, he grows up most in this film and Pippin grows up more in the next film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen, what do you think of that, of their plot with the, with the end? Well, I thought it was clearly the comic relief because I laughed so much at so much of the stuff <laughs> said. I uh, really thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also didn't fully understand why, I mean, was he just their, was he just their ride? Because by the end, when they had decided that they aren't going to fight, like they, he's just taking them wherever he wants to go, I guess, because they've become friends. I didn't, I didn't fully understand why they were just riding, <laughs> riding. Yeah. Well, I mean, he tries to convince them to go into battle and they have their right. council and everything. And they say no. And he, that's when he's like, how can you not, how can you stand by yep. and just wait, watch this happen? And then finally, when they see the, when we're jumping ahead, but when they see the deforestation and that finally convinces them to, to get involved. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, they are definitely very reticent. I mean, if you think of, they were probably the 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 U.S. in World War II of the story, waiting yeah, and I, waiting and waiting to get involved. <laughs> yes, they did take a while, and but I did think so much of it was funny. I mean, they just have lost their women; they don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. I never took that as funny. I always took that as bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess so, but i i don't know it was just how how he said everything and the fact that he talks slow and only says things that are worth talking that slowly about mm-hmm. speaking of which what do you think of the casting of john reese davies aka gimli as Treebeard? Mm-hmm. oh i didn't even know that oh he's Treebird. yeah oh i didn't realize that either <laughs> that is interesting oh, and I, it makes sense but did a good job casting but now that i'm hearing its voice in my head i'm like oh yeah that is interesting (laughs) i do think that this probably has the best of the howard shore uh, scores i think the the orchestration is really strong here we didn't talk talk about howard shore's music in the last film but here he carries through the excellent themes introduced in that film like the fellowship theme and Mm -hmm. introduces fantastic new cues like the theme for rohan for example yeah I think it was really good. I he really if- gives so much a sense of a so much of a sense of character and so much of a sense of culture and thematic resonance with each piece of music. I was just looking to see it wasn't even nominated for best score. How is it not nominated? That's crazy. I have no oh. idea. <laughs> I have uh, no idea how I have no idea how Enya lost the Oscar in the last movie. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, they had that year they had Frida was the winner uh the score for Frida by Elliot Goldenthal I'm sure it's good but really um and then there's it was actually some big heavy hitters that year they had John Williams for Catch Me If You Can Elmer Bernstein for Far From Heaven the Philip Glass for The Hours and Thomas Newman for Road to Perdition but none of those I don't think stand out the way that I don't know this does. I, I feel like it should have gotten nominated, but those are some heavy hit, hitter composers. So I'll, I'll forgive well, them. I think the score, I mean, just plays such a, 
an role yeah role in the storytelling because it does all those new things that were introduced in um reticent of where you are what's happening I just it Mm -hmm. really very very uh it's a order for a score this these movies and it does well yeah and one minor thing that I think can be a little confusing is I think that Sauron and Sauron are too close I get it confused (laughs) the names are too similar (laughs) I was like what were they talking about (laughs) Uh, then then both be bad guys I don't know I think they are too similar, but I only get them confused when I'm trying to talk about them. Yes. Watching it and experiencing it. I don't feel confused when they're talking about who's who, but when I try to talk about it, that's when I get confused. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. Uh, I'm, not going, I'm not going to agree, but also <laughs> I will say that they do set, they, the film does try to distinguish them somewhat by setting up the, uh, the evil alliance of the two towers, Saruman mm-hmm. and Orthanc with as played by Christopher Lee and Sauron on in Baradur as the flame as the as the flaming red eye. Yeah, I don't know. I just get a little look. I was I sometimes would get a little confused when I was taking my notes. That's all. Uh, but um, uh, Christopher Lee is so good. We talked about it last time, but he's great. Oh, mm-hmm. he was a, One of my friends casting. told me in the book that the movie kind of changes those the relationship between those two that the book has them as more competitive beings instead of one kind of the, I mean. For Sauron and Saruman. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's pretty much correct. In and the I, book, I was like, I only know it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the book, Saruman is basically out for himself and plans to go up against Sauron eventually. He's a bit in over his head. <laughs> and in this yeah. movie, he's, he declares himself the like, the ally of Sauron. Yeah, the ally, yeah. Yeah, so we have two groups of humans in this in this uh, story, right? We have the um, Rohan and then we have the um, uh, what's it called? The Gro- The Gondorians? Um, Gon- yeah. That's what we meet are the Rohan, uh, the uh, Theoden, his nephew um and he's under the control of this guy grima um and i think this grima guy is such like an is a little over the top he's, he's such a snivelly i mean who would not think this guy is a villain <laughs> he looks he yeah, they were, people were saying that as far back as 2002 even carl urban made a joke about it <laughs> yeah but yeah um, he's he's a little too obvious it yes. worked for me as it worked for me as a 10 year old because there were a lot of new characters to be introduced to but it doesn't really i don't think it works that well he's that's performed true. well he's performed well by brad Dourif, though. yeah i mean that's true because you they you, you do sometimes want just archetypes that immediately you know okay this is so you don't have to work so hard for everything i kind of understand that but it's it, it is a little a little over the top yeah I've seen, I've seen artistic renditions of him where he just looks more like a normal but slightly, uh, slightly deformed man, but not, Uh not this, not like a Nosferatu. Yeah, Grima Worm Tongue. (laughs) He's he's called that in the book, so sometimes. (laughs) What are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh, 
so yeah, it was, it was a lot, but nice conversation between Mary and Pippin where and he says, I think we might've made a mistake leaving the Shire Pippin. I thought that was a nice moment between them. It's a good, it's a good way to subtly introduce the ends by having them be, uh, having them being mentioned as folk mm-hmm. tales to the hobbits. Yeah. And then we have the riders of Rohan and uh, we get them, uh, they've been banished uh, and they meet up with, uh, I called them AGL in my notes, Aragon, <laughs> Gimli, and Legolas. Uh, the three and, musketeers, the three hunters. Yes. I mean. Yeah. How, what do you think about that, that they kind of made them this, uh, this, this trio, uh, this trio, trio. trio. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of them, uh, Jen? Um, I thought that was just a carryover from the fellowship that they mm-hmm. were kind of united together in their purpose, and so, and that they were at. I mean, initially trying to find Pippin and Merryweather. Mm-hmm. They were well, still united in purpose. So, what do you think of the banter between them, though? Like they're sort of buddy chemistry between the three of them oh i think it's hilarious yeah i mean i pretty much loved there's there are two different conversations that i loved 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 between gimli and legolas that just made me laugh out loud one at the very end which i'm sure you know about it one in the middle and i just thought <laughs> i just thought it was funny like i just think they are comrades uh, in the best ways and also very different Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially towards the end when uh, when Gimli uh, gets Aragorn to throw him. Toss yes. me, toss me. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. I love when um, Gimli puts the the armor piece on and was like, I was going to get it altered because it's super long. He's like, it's kind of the chest. I laughed so hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, I, Gimli's actually a, more of a serious character in the book. Uh-huh. But but the inclusion of this more humorous personality was done with the suggestion of John Reese davies and it works in the film, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Carl Urban as humor? His his role in the story? I think he's kind he's... of, un- he's underused, I think. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought, because I really liked him. So he says that... Sorry, he actually yeah. appears... In, in, in the Battle of Helm's Deep alongside Aragorn. How amazing would that have been? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a, the he's the nephew of Theoden. And like I said, Theoden is under the control of, of this Grima guy. And uh, he's kind of been sort of hypnotized by him. And... Uh, and so he also tells them about the that the white wizard is is uh, is cunning, and they talk about the white wizard. And uh, so then we uh, later on we meet Gandalf the White, and uh, the you know that's exciting because obviously he had died in the previous one, so I guess he gets to come back to life. Um, so that's fun. What did you think of that whole sequence of Gandalf's return, Jen? Um, I actually was fascinated by it because I enjoyed maybe one of my favorite fight scenes is just a little bit right before that shows him finishing his battle with that thing in Fellowship. 
um, and yeah, the ball showing up. And when I was talking to my sister, she, and I tell me if this is wrong, she said that the white wizards were generally like, um, good, were generally good. And that white, white was something to attain. So it it's significant that Saruman is a white wizard and is bad. Yes, it essentially means Gandalf has been promoted to the head of his order and supersedes Saruman. Right. Um, but I I loved all of it. But I was I was in, interested and curious about how he kind of had to be reminded who he was um, and yes, that's what that his sense. name was. And I yeah. was like, why is that? And it there's obviously something happens in the transition to come back that he kind of forgets himself. Yes, it's a little bit like when the Doctor regenerates, he assumes a, a, a bit of a new persona, but retains his old memories. And they have to come back. It's, I mean, I just was, I just really liked seeing him like remember. Yes. A little bit. He is, he is essentially a divine spirit remembering what it means to be human again. Oh, see, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I cheered on my couch. <laughs> Yeah, it's an exciting moment. <laughs> I wondered if that was my sister's moment. She said no. It's so, a very different performance from Sir Ian McKellen. Gandalf the Grey is quite a down-to-earth, quite, quite an approachable, earthy sort of chap, whereas Gandalf the White really does feel more like a man on a mission, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he becomes um, yeah cryptic a little bit in his communication and uh almost like he's for you know he's foretelling things as he's talking in a different kind of way yes so Gandalf takes the bad spirit out of Theoden and uh, he becomes uh normal looking <laughs> it's a stunning effect isn't it when yeah he goes from decrepit and wizened to more still quite senior but more vig vigorous yeah, and I really like the conversation between Gandalf and Aragorn when uh, Gandalf says, do not regret your decision to leave him because he must finish this task alone. And then Aragorn says, he is not alone. Sam went with him. And you see this look on Gandalf's face, like, oh, good. <laughs> That's I a nice one. That, too. Mm -hmm. that amazing sort of rush of reassurance that maybe Frodo has a chance mm -hmm. after all. Yeah. Um, we also yeah. see the orc army getting built uh, in Mordor, at Mordor. And uh, what do you think was the appeal of the uh, of following uh, the dark side for um for Saruman? And what do you think was the final temptation to make him go that way? It's a combination, I think, of uh, cynicism on his part and and a, a level of disdain towards the free peoples. And when he finally attains that power, it just allows all of his more negative impulses to take hold, mm -hmm. building machines, breeding mon monsters and exerting himself as a lord over Rohan. It is a, it, it, this descent into power brings out the worst in him, basically. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jen? Um, I, I mean, I was just going to say power, just the general want for power, but I think that, um, Oscar is ex exactly hit it, that the cynicism, I think he just was fed up with people and ideals. And this was far more appealing to 
and a faster way to power. Mm-hmm. Because it is always funny in these stories when you're, especially in Star Wars, when it's like, it's literally called the dark side. What? Why are you going over there? It's not going to end well for you. It's literally called the dark side. Um, and it's but, fascinating because it, because the dark side is basically a shortcut. And it's not, mm, and it isn't really, the, it's not really the slower, more methodical way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's very well done here when they're making the the uh, orc army. That all looks that all looks very effective and slimy and gross. Yeah, I can only um, imagine the how crazy it must have looked on the sets over in New Zealand. Yes. All these creatures and caverns and all these orcs walking around. That must have been a real fever dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine how they did some of this. I can't I imagine your volume of things. Like I can't. Yeah. So this Grima guy is super creepy to Eowyn, who is the niece of Theoden. And uh, yeah, what do you think of Eowyn as a character, Oscar? What do you think of her? I think she might be one of my favorite characters in this film and the next film. Mm-hmm. There, there's such a strength and inner resilience to Eowyn. And also you get the sense that she is battling her own sense of, well, basically her own sense of despair at the future of her people and her kingdom. And at the first instance where there does appear to be a glimmer of hope on the horizon, she really latches onto it and it really spurs her on and to eventually do great deeds as we see in the next film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she can be a little one known, I think, sometimes. And when we see, I don't mind in the next movie her moment, but uh, but I I think that it's hard when we've already become attached to Arwen with Aragorn. It's kind of hard to have this other female character for him. Do you yeah, not really like? Do you not really like her one-sided crush towards Aragorn? Well, it just is hard because, again, we've already become invested in him with another woman. So then there's this other person coming in. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that, Jen? Well, Rachel, your rom-com mentality is showing because (laughs) you want to root for a couple. And so when she has a crush, you want to be able to root for her, but you can't. Yes. Initially, it's so curious to me that Oscar is saying she's, she's one of his favorites because initially I thought who why why is she here and she did seem a little one note to me and I thought maybe she was just a foil character to pull information out and represent things but then by the end I ended up really liking her I love the moment at the end where she runs to Aragorn and says they're making me go in the caves with the women and yeah fights and I was like I love how she wants to represent and fight hope with her people Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes and like, we get to see that. and then and then you can't root for her crush because you're like Aragorn is taken <laughs> is she in the book uh is she in the book Oscar yes she is okay um so then we have the the Rohan the people of Rohan getting evacuated to Helm's Deep and First, sorry they in, go ahead this is this is a key scene uh, but for, which is 
the funeral of the king's son and the king grieving at his son's grave. And you have this really heartbreaking conversation between Theoden and Gandalf, which leads to, the, to Theoden saying, no parent should have to bury their child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, was a, that was a standout like scene to me as well, especially when he says that, because you're just getting... Yeah, I mean, and both of the kings end up having to bury their uh, their sons in within the story, because you have Ormir as well that's passed away. Um, I was happy to see Sean Bean made it in this one. Yeah, flashback. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So then Gandalf departs to find uh, Eomer, who was who had left, who had been exiled. And uh, his and the followers there, uh, and uh, this is when you get the scene with Saruman saying, "The world of men will fall." <laughs> it's very and the reveal of the ten thousand Urukai. Yeah, that army. Yeah. Holy cow! It's very, it's very Lenny Riefen style in its pr- presentation, like this Third Reich rally of of, of soldiers. Mm-hmm. And they have, they call them oliphants, which are like these kind of giant elephants. Kind of yes. Creatures. Yes, we return to Frodo and Sam watching this, these convoys of evil men coming into Mordor, the Easterlings and the Haradrim. Mm-hmm. And the Haradrim right atop these huge elephant creatures, which are pretty intimidating, I must say. Yeah. So then Faramir and the soldiers attack Frodo and... Uh, and Sam and this is I I know people that are big fans of the book really don't like how they portray Faramir in the movie it's very different than the book correct well in when you compare the uh it it is very different but when you compare his portrayal in the theatrical cut versus extended edition he's a he's a much better character in the extended cuts Mm -hmm. I did like him more yeah in the extended one. Because he has a scene where he turns over a dead Harajim soldier. He ponders on w- what his name was, where he came from, whether he was really evil at heart, what lies or threats led him on this long march from home, and would he mm-hmm. not rather have stayed there? It is such a humanizing speech and makes you realize that Faramir is actually much more of an introverted, maybe even more of an intellectual man than Boromir was. Mm-hmm. So he's not motivated by greed or selfishness. And, and it was more than just his like desire to win over his father's favor. He was like, a good, good person at a good, yeah. And he says, I think it's him who says it, that war will make corpses of us all. That's him. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, we also get scene where Ewan is cooking for Aragon. He makes the stew. I kind of like that little moment. Mm. It's like it's good. <laughs> it is a made-up scene, but it is a nice fin- window into both of their characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we and, get and a scene. Say... Like... Oh, sorry. Carry oh, on. Go, go ahead. And I must say, Aragorn looks pretty good for eighty-seven years old. Right. Yes. I thought the same. <laughs> He's a more long-lived uh, human, granted, but. I like those little snippets where we learn that there, there is more to Aragorn and his people than simply being just like the men of Rohan or the men of Gondor. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, then we get a scene where they think that Aragon has been killed and uh, fallen off a cliff, but you can't, you can't get rid of Aragorn that easy. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> they should have known. Uh, and Arwen. Oh, yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry. You've, it, that leads into the Arwen scene. You go. Yes. Ahead. So Arwen is told by her father that Aragorn will not return. And he reminds her that if she remains in Middle Earth, she will outlive Aragorn by thousands of years. And she re- so she decides to leave. So that's an emotional scene. And it follows with two more scenes of her, of her and Aragorn's lo- uh, love, basically, back in Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a trick, it's a tricky thing to maintain. Invest, investment in a in a romance that wasn't really picked up until halfway through the first film, but they managed to do it re- really effectively. Now, it, Arwen it, isn't in the book very much, right? That's right. She's yeah. not even in the two towers, strictly speaking. Yeah, but I mean, suit, I think but- it's good that they added some female characters. I think they could have even added more. And I mean, I guess that's what they're kind of doing in this new series is they're boosting up and you have whiny, annoying people online complaining about it. But I mean, I don't know. You want to be able to watch these movies and everybody be able to connect with it a little bit. It's a fantastical world so they can make it however they want. <laughs> but there are know. also but there are also rules when it comes to Tolkien and you can bend them as these films have, have, have yeah. done. And they, you can do that effectively. But, you know, what's... It, it, it all depends on how much you want to bend them versus, you know, doing something that just makes no sense mm-hmm. at all. Not just from a not just from a world standpoint, but from a storytelling standpoint. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it's not like a true event. So it's not like you have to have the characters be necessarily male, female, you know, of a particular race, you know, kind of thing. Like there should be in a fantastical world and world building, there should be room for casting interpretations i feel like <laughs> and adding st- characters i don't know i just think the internet's insane sometimes uh, <laughs> uh, back to the back to the film yes um, um i was interested in the scene again because i don't know how it all flushes out that her dad that's her dad right was so insistent that she had to leave mm-hmm um, and I mean, that's out of like really concern that she needs to stay with her people, but the rom-com in me was like, well, why <laughs> he's not dead. <laughs> I don't, I didn't understand where they were going because I think she, she's giving up. She will, she will live a, a long time and she'll outlive Aragorn, but she'll also be giving up her immortality if she's not with the elves. Oh, does she give it up if she's not, doesn't stay with her people? she can she she gives it up if she stays with aragorn and is yeah. wedded to him oh okay i didn't know that so mm-hmm. that is pretty significant so they arrive at helm's deep and uh they see sarah saruman's army is massive they're marching to they are marching to helm's deep and he said and they say there will be no dawn for men and um and this is when we have Mary Pippin uh, trying to convince the Ent Council to go against 
uh, go against Isengard, go towards Isengard, and uh, and we we see Tree Treebeard, and uh, and Mary, you know, says, "How can you how can you stand by?" Um, so you know that's that's a good scene, and we also get the scene we with Brago the horse saving Aragorn, which is very good. And it's also a nice instance where a, a previous scene in the extended cut shows who the horse is and why he came to Aragorn's rescue, because Aragorn mm -hmm. calmed him and set him free. Yes, and also uh, El Elnrod, uh, Arwen's father, is contacted by Galadriel, uh, who ba they basically convince the, uh, the, the other elves to align with the men and to go to Helm's Deep. So that's kind of our one Galadriel scene in the movie. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. We have, uh, we, we do find out the strength of the ring bearers failing. The quest will claim his life. Um, and that men are easily seduced by power. Um, so, uh, it's a powerful, it's a powerful tone setter. that conversation between Elrond and Galadriel, as it mm -hmm. shows all the pieces on the board lining up for their next moves. Saruman, mm -hmm. at, Saruman attack on Isengard and Faramir's choice regarding the One Ring. Yeah, and uh, you get a real sense of stakes of what is what is up here for the, the the entire their entire world could be at stake here. I mean, there's it's as big a stakes as you could get. Um, and then we have Faramir uh, more with uh, we'll get more of his backstory uh, with Frodo. I mean, um, with uh, Boromir. And uh, and his the 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 um, steward of Gondor. Oh, sorry. Yes, um, and their animosity and rivalry—that's the word I'm looking for. Rival rivalry with each other, and that Boromir was sent to be in the Fellowship. Faramir wanted to go instead. And, Slight uh, disagreement because the bar the brothers actually loved each other quite a lot, but their father Denethor always. Put, put Faramir down while also propping mm -hmm. Boromir up to, to an uncomfortable extent. So that was where, and he's, he was the one responsible for sending Boromir north to Rivendell. Yeah, I mean, I would still say they definitely had a rivalry, even if they loved each other. I think there was a I rivalry between the In their guys. father's eyes, maybe, but I don't think they did between each other. Hmm. Yeah. 
that was definitely my take is that they, that they had a rivalry between the two of them, but they still loved each other. But I just felt like Bormir really understood the plight of Faramir uh, with their dad, with their father, when, because he even stands up for him a little bit and it's like, he loves you and he wants, you know, and he's in it, but mm-hmm. the, the dad will have nothing of it. Exactly. Uh, uh, well, Faramir takes, uh, takes Frodo to the Forbidden Pool and Golem is there and he says, should I shoot? And then he says, this creature is bound to me and I to him. So. It's a, it really shows how much Fro- Frodo f- feels that his fate has now become tied up with golems. Mm-hmm. And, not, and again, not only as a guide, but symbolically as well. That's why he's always trying to gently coax the Smeagol side of Gollum out, which unfortunately mm-hmm. gets horrifically scuppered when Faramir and the Rangers accost Gollum and rather harshly interrogate him and that brings Gollum back out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah and then we also get Faramir with the uh, he puts his knife up to the his sword up to the to the ring and he says it's within my grasp the ring of power. So, this was tempting. this was the huge point of contention for, for book fans because Faramir was the one human character who could not be tempted by the ring at all. So to see, so to see him succumb to temptation as many of the other human characters had done before him. Well, the reason, uh, the reason the writers made that choice was because they felt the ring still needed to present a corrupting threat to everyone ar- around Frodo, Frodo and Sam. So mm-hmm. that was why they made that choice. So I understand, but it is a but it is still quite a contrast to Faramir in the book versus Faramir in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get a great entrance of Aragorn because they think he's dead and he kind of storms through the the big uh, doors to the, the castle. And, uh, and I don't know, it's a good entrance, I thought. I think I think so too. Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah, everyone's excited because he's yeah. alive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But also and, the way he dramatically opens the door to the king's throne room. Yes. So the ants agree to take Marion Pippin to Isengard. And uh, then uh, Ewen uh, says that she wants to stand by Aragorn's side. And the people want to stand by his side because they love you. And uh, you see them, the men saying goodbye to the, the women and children are in the in the uh, helm's deep and so they say goodbye your men will follow you to the end and then theoden suits up uh, as the king to lead his people and that's another poetically beautiful but also incredibly stark scene theoden reciting this poem while they're they're here and prepare for battle some Mm -hmm. of them boys and old men while this in great host of armored Urukai marches ever closer to Helm's Deep. It yes. just, it's a, such a, you know, stark, almost despairing tone. And it makes really, you, it felt hopeless. It's one I, of those scenes where you think this, this, it, it, it makes you, it, it almost reminds you of how this, this great strife of humanity has 
been going on for thousands of years and the and the books in the film capture that that almost eternal conflict mm -hmm. really it's well. true it, it almost has a bit of a biblical feel when the story in the the kind of remind me of the story in the bible i think it's elijah or i forget but when he says they the he says they that be with us are more than they that be with them and uh and that there's this because he looks over and he sees all of they see all of these soldiers and they think how could we possibly compete with just a never-ending supply of soldiers but uh they the they're basically like clones they don't have the the heart that all of you know that these fighters have or the skill well that well that's the thing it's it it's free free people mm -hmm. of both old and young against an army of mindless automatons bred to kill mm -hmm. and the the elves come to fight for men and uh you do get a great little funny scene between legolas and gimli shall i describe it to you or should i find you a box oh sure i knew a box <laughs> that's good uh, and i love that i love their friendship in this film yeah it's fun and so then we get to the battles i do think that some of the battling goes on a little long for me i get a little I, it's a little self-indulgent sometimes i i'm just like let's move it along but uh, it wasn't as bad for me this time as i remember to be so i don't know if that makes any sense but but maybe I, because I, the, maybe because the character scenes really drew you in this time. Maybe, maybe. And um, I was ready for there to be too much fighting, and I mm -hmm. did not way because I really was engaged with the characters and what was happening. Although for some reason, I where did they get ladders? That's all I want to know. <laughs> well, just, they must have just had them in Helm's Deep, I guess. But, uh, I, I, I rewound I it and I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> the Urukai brought up the ladders with them, along, oh, along with their ballista, the battering rams, and the gunpowder explosives. Oh. And I'm like, they have ladders? <laughs> yeah. And the ends say, this is not our war. And Mary says, you are part of this world. You must help. Uh, so that's a, a, a good moment. And you also have Legolas basically like sliding down the staircase on a, mm -hmm. it's like a, a snowboard kind of looking thing. That was kind of fun. So a lot, some people really, really dislike the extreme Legolas stunts. But for me, I, I'm quite partial to the, to the shield surfing bit. I like it. Mm -hmm. Why? Was mm -hmm. he not, is that not like him? Why did they not like his stunt? Well, because... Oh, because they're kind of almost over the top for their own sake. Yeah, I think they're fun, but I, I do think too. that I mean I think in general the battles look amazing, especially for two thousand two. But there are times when it feels a little blue on blue to me, and it's a little hard to kind of on my not giant screen to sort of figure out exactly what's going on as far as the battles. Um, but uh, you need those I kind of moments. That way. I, I never thought that at all. And mm. that was so amazing. And I just watched my little iPad. Oh, yeah, I, 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 that's how I felt. Sometimes it's a little blue on blue. I, I appreciated having the moments of individual fighting where I could get more involved as opposed to sort of the bigger scenes. Uh, you get the Gimli wanting Ar Aragorn to toss him 
that's a great moment very funny <laughs> and <Necessary. laughs> yeah yeah Gimli is just the best even in battle <laughs> I will also say that even though the elves don't appear at Helm's Deep in the book it's probably one of the more popular changes from the source material because mm. it shows that the elves are still participating in the War of the Ring and doing their bits to protect Middle Earth yeah I um, did not know that they don't come in the book, but so many of them die. And I was thinking for a second, do they, I guess they can die. Well, that's it. Elves are long lived, but they can be slain in battle or they can die mm -hmm. of a broken heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then we have the, uh, the Ents trap Saruman in his tower uh, because they get upset about the deforestation and that's uh, understandable yeah yeah uh yeah it's basically a genocide from their perspective mm -hmm. and uh fairmare uh i mean frodo tells fairmare you must let me go uh and uh and that's they when go, they go to osgiliath this ruined city on on the borders of gondor mm -hmm. which is also a made-up scenario but it also, but it serves as the sort of the action climax of Frodo and Sam's story when a Nazgul comes close to claiming the ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, goes out there. <laughs> he says that it's calling to me. And then that's when Sam says, hold on, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> yep. And he runs. Mm -hmm. that scene. And, and Sam finally talks some sense into Faramir. Yes, and then Frodo uh, confronts the Nazgul. And, uh, but it, it almost looks like Frodo's about to give up the ring and give mm -hmm. up the quest. Yeah, it does look like that. And then he almost stabs Sam. Uh, After Sam saves him. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he says, it's yours, Sam. And that's when we get probably, this is the pillow moment that we talked about last time, the, the speech the pillow moment of this movie is when Sam says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could then be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass, a new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer those were the stories that stayed with you that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Fredo, I do understand. I know now uh, folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something that that there's some good in this world, Frodo, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> It's a good moment. <laughs> and I can think, and I think for, for the audience, those who were initiated with the books and those who weren't, it was a great way to keep tithing them on, even though we've been subjected to all this carnage and destruction, mm -hmm. that, there, that there is something worth fighting for, even if it looks hopeless. Well, and that's what I think makes the story work so well is that there are like clear stakes that of there's evil and good 
And this is what we're fighting for, as opposed to a lot of other fantasies where things get a lot more muddled and they start to lose me. This, there is a clear thing, a clear goal, a clear journey that they're on. And I, I just think that gives sort of weight and stakes and makes it easy to be invested in the story that sometimes you don't have in these fantasy stories for me personally. So I, uh, I, I think uh, it's what makes this, uh, this whole thing work so well. Um, we also get the, uh, they're losing and then Gandalf and Ymir with uh, arrive with the uh, Rohirrim and uh, that sort of turns the tide of the battle and we get the Ents breaking the dam and flooding everything too. So that was my sister's favorite in all of the trilogy is when Gandalf shows up on the white horse. Um, yeah, that's a good moment. Because you forget that he's coming. Like you're involved in all this battle and so did they. They forgot that he was coming, even though they told him that he told them when he was going to come. Um, and then there he is. And they come and completely, you know, change the, turn the tides of a losing battle. And that coupled with the, them breaking the dam and the water looks so cool. Yeah, it's a good it was really It was really satisfying to see the Ents tear their way through Isengard, smashing all those orcs and such. Yeah, yeah. some all into that forest of trees. They just watch and wait mm -hmm. until they're all in there, and then all the trees start moving. <laughs> it's very, very much a bear in the woods come to Dunsinane movement, only made quite literal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the people uh, leave. The women and children leave, uh, and uh, they flee. And and then also Faramir lets. Uh, let's Frodo and Sam go. And uh, then we also get Legolas and Gimli. They're comparing their kills. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is the funniest when there's, I'm sitting on number 43. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and apparently dwarves know advanced anatomy. Who knew? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and uh, Mary and Pippin find apples. Uh, and also ceremony. Oh, that was so food. funny. Yeah. Yeah. When they're in the water and the, the apples are there and then they find <laughs> the pantry. Right. There's like a fully cooked chicken or turkey or something <laughs> floating in the water. Yeah, I guess ceremony is pretty good. <laughs> and he's partial to Hobbit's pipeweed. <laughs> yes. From the shower. So much, so much for his chastising of Gandalf in the last film. <laughs> Uh, oh, so to share it with tree breed because it was like his relative dead plants i don't think he'd understand <laughs> so oh, then we we they just the last thought of uh so they say go frodo go with the goodwill of all men all our hopes rely on two little hobbits and uh and this is sam wise the brave frodo wouldn't have gotten far without sam so it goes back to our sort of overall that really the story is a story of friendship. And I think that's why it works as well as it does so well. Um, well, and, and I love that Faramir is finally convinced of their goodness because of their relationship and understanding mm -hmm. who they are. And then, you know, sacrifices his own self to let them go. I mean, I, I just really mm -hmm. like Faramir. Mm -hmm. And then Gollum leads uh, them 
but we all know he can't can't it can't really be trusted so uh that's sort of our i guess our cliffhanger but um and he resolves to take them to quote her her yeah and Uh, really quickly what are the two towers or thank that's saruman's stronghold and sauron's dark tower in mordor okay yeah speaking of which the last shot of the film is one of my favorites because it sets up the stakes for the next film with the red and black skies over Mordor, lightning everywhere. You can just feel Sauron's wrath at his defeat at that point. And you realize they are going into the heart of the Dark Lord's territory. Gotta have hope. Yeah. Well, I thought I would read a couple other thoughts um, that I got from people uh, on Twitter. we have uh, uh, Carla who says, I still like it a lot. I love the whole trilogy. This is easily my least favorite of the trilogy. The bits with the Ents were tedious and I had issues with Eowyn and Aragorn's relationship. The battle scenes are spectacular though. Um, then we have uh, MC Meyer says, it's a good action movie. I just think it tries to do too much for a middle chapter, which made it hard for the third film to pace itself. To fix, to fix it, I'd have suggested the same that Tolkien did decades ago to make Helm's Deep the only big battle and cut out minus Turif. Big disagree. Big disagree. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, Peter Sullivan, director of Hallmark Movies. Uh, he says, it's one, of, it's one film in the series where I prefer the extended cut. It allowed me to appreciate the story and characters a bit more. And I, and I now think it's my favorite entry. Um, Richard Southworth says, I liked it better when I rewatched it after Return of the King and the characters that weren't in Fellowship were more established in my head. Any circus performance of Gollum in the Battle of Helm's Deep are highlights. Uh, Nostalgia Cast says, the theatrical cut is two cliffhangers, serial to stand equal to Fellowship. In my opinion, the extended edition, though, feels more like an actual movie than middle chapter with arcs for Aragorn, Sam, Frodo, Faramir, and the Ents that are more fully fleshed out. It's the extended edition I like best. Um, One more from Terry. It says, it's my favorite of the trilogy. When I'm sick, I just pop on the extended edition and feel better. I've watched it more than other, the other two films saw it three times in theaters. And, uh, and he, I asked, I followed up, why do you like it best? And he says, where to begin? The Battle of Helm's Deep is fantastic and still holds up. When the Gandalf the White shows up, and it's an emotional payoff. Love medieval type battles. This counts as one. The characters splitting up gives them more of an arc, and the emotions are high, and it's satisfying for for a part two. Uh, and then Cardi Wong uh, from he's an actor that we in Hallmark movies. He said Helm's Deep is the best battle scene in the series, but I love Fellowship the most. So. Lots of different opinions going on over on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but That's it's, still, it's still probably my least favorite just because the battles get a little long for me sometimes. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see when I see Return of the King because it has a lot of battles too. But I still think the first one is my favorite. But we'll see. Uh, it all... I don't know yet. But I will say yeah. I do agree that this one more clearly has a like a the three storylines that come together well in a like a start and middle and an end where at the end I wasn't screaming what <laughs> it's over <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it was uh it was kind of more concise and weirdly 
Yeah, even though that extended version is longer. Mm -hmm. Which one's your favorite, Oscar? I go back and forth between Fellowship and Return of the King. So even mm -hmm. though The Two Towers is by default my least favorite, it's still one of my top 10 favorite films. I yeah. still think yeah. it's an incredible film that does deviate from the books a few too many times and could been could be a little tighter in 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 some uh, in some ways in, especially but but overall its highs are so good like sam's speech like the battle of helm's deep that it does pave over some of the issues i have with it yeah 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 it's an excellent film and i'm a tough sell when it comes to fantasy so if I like it, it's probably pretty good. <laughs> I can't believe how much I'm liking this and I can't wait to watch Return of the King. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, be fun. it's a bit like ranking five-star hotels where you have to get nitpicky about clothes. Uh, <laughs> well, because they're really all great. And I love the, the fact that Terry and Twitter are saying he watches it when he's sick. This, I don't know. That's just a fun thought. Of what he, yeah. <laughs> so. And it has comfort in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let us know if you're listening, what you think of this movie and all the things we talked about. There's, and there's so much going on in this movie that we couldn't possibly cover every detail. So if there's other things that you want to talk about, please do so in the comment section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, Oscar, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Albion underscore 93. And Jen, what about you? I'm on Twitter on at what Jen's up to. Great. You can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That really helps me out a lot. And if you are listening on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have the patron group, which is really fun and the merch store. So please take a look at that and uh, thanks so much to both of you. And uh, we will talk next, finish out this, finish out this part of the story. <laughs> Bye everyone. Bye.